As I was preparing um, this week's sermon and the next couple weeks, I was struck by a problem I think we all have, a problem of understanding terms and how that affects our lives. The concept of sin. We all know the word sin, right? But so what? Right? So sin is anything that's displeasing to God, that goes against what God tells us to. If we sin, we just tell Jesus we're sorry and he forgives us. But, but really, what's the big deal? So, so what? If we all sin, we're all going to do it. What's the big deal? We're going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about that over the next couple weeks. And I'm sure as we go on this journey, which we're beginning today uh, through the parables, we will uh, come across that time and time again. But what I want to communicate today is the beginning of that, that so what. And hopefully that will make sense as we finish up. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the parable of the prodigal son. It's how it's most commonly known. We're going to spend two more weeks in that, as you'll see. can't do it all in one week. And then from there we're going to move through a, a selection uh, of parables. My hope is that they, they appear to us in a deeper and truer way, uh, these stories that we've probably all heard before. Parable, you know where the word parable comes from? It's a transliteration of a Greek word. All that means is it's the English pronunciation of the Greek word parable. It's a Jewish word. It doesn't say parable, but it means the same thing. They're comparative stories, basically. They're uh, one of the main ways Jesus taught. They're uh, stories that were told to communicate a point about God's kingdom, about who God is, and about who we are. Today, in the parable we're looking at, it's probably um, the best known parable out there, and also the one that is most commonly misunderstood. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the first third of the parable of the prodigal son, and I will stop at the end of the first third, Next week, we'll take the second third, and the following week, the third third. Actually, I'll read the whole thing, then we'll go into it. And I'll explain why. This parable was, was um, told by Jesus during the third year of his earthly ministry. It was told in the context of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Jewish leaders having immense problem with the fact that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and was interacting and having fellowship with dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing sinners. Jewish people lived in a workspace system, meaning... You were right with God because of how well you kept his law and how faithful you were to do what he told you. The concept that someone who, who disobeyed God intentionally walked away from obedience to his law, that they could just walk up to God and say, I'm sorry, and God says it's forgiven, is it, just, it, it, it's incomprehensible. Now as we look at this parable, we realize we've, we live on the other side of the coin. Pharisees and Sadducees were heavily works-based. You've got to work to be right with God. In our cultural context, we do the exact opposite, don't we? We say, well, all you got to do is say sorry and God forgives you. It really doesn't matter as long as you try your best, you'll get to go to heaven one day and live with God. You see the, the polar opposite end of the spectrum? The reality is in the middle. And that's where we're going to allow Jesus to, to take us as he tells his story. So let me communicate his words that are recorded for us in Scripture. We'll back it up and unpack it, and hopefully this will make a lot more sense contextually and applicably as we leave here today. So I'm in Luke 15. We would have just heard, if we were sitting at Jesus' feet, the parable of the lost sheep. Remember, a sheep, bunch of sheep are there. One got lost. Shepherd goes and find it. The parable of the lost coin. And now we walk into the parable of the prodigal son. And it says, And he said, Jesus, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, 
give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All right, so here's the story in a nutshell. The younger son. He came up to his dad. He said, Dad, can I have my inheritance early? The dad said, Sure, here's your inheritance. He took his inheritance to a faraway land, and he he lived kind of crazy for a little bit. And he came back home. He said he was sorry, and his father welcomed him back. Kind of sounds like the American story of a college kid, doesn't it? You go off to college, you look for a job, doesn't work so well, you go and you find yourself in a distant country, you come home, you move back in with mom and dad, and, and isn't that what we do? So what's the big deal? The concept of early inheritance. If, if you come from a money background, it's not unheard of for a child to approach their parent and say, hey, I'm kind of in a bad way, can I get an advance on my inheritance? There are tax benefits to this. Parents that do it all the time. Not mine, but I've heard. It's not a ridiculously unheard of thing to ask for an early inheritance. So what's the big deal? Is there even a big deal? Well, let's see. With anything we read in Scripture, especially parables, it's important to put them in the context of the time they were spoken. Because too often we, we contextualize everything with where we live right now. We assume that the Bible was written with a 21st century East Coast American mindset. And that Jesus sat down and spoke to people just like us with the same view of everything we had. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. So, let's look at it in context. There was a man who had two sons. Nothing wrong with that. Very normal. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, big problem right there just happened. Goes right by you. 
the father-child relationship in, in this time, in this part of the world, even in our time in this part of the world, is not the Americanized structure. Kids are not co-equals with parents. They don't have voting rights. They don't, they don't you know, Mom, Dad, I want that. Uh, you, you don't have that ability. The dad was the dictator of the house. What Daddy said went, not just when the kids were this tall, but even when they were grown-ups. As long as the father was alive, the father was in charge of all the decisions in the family and all the property and possessions of the family, period. There was no early inheritance. When the dad died, the older son got the majority of the inheritance. The younger son would get a portion, and each other son would receive something. But there was no early inheritance. It was an unheard of concept. So to walk up to your father and say, hey, can I get my inheritance early, was the equivalent, and this is exactly what Jesus was communicating, and what would have been heard from the people, in the ears of the people there, he was saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I want my stuff. You know, imagine walking up to your parent, and these are wealthy people here, you go up, hey dad, how long till you die? I, I just wish you would die already because I want your stuff to be mine. I want to use it however I want to use it without you interfering. And I just wish you were dead for real. I mean, can you imagine? Now, we'll talk about this next line about the father uh, giving him the property in a couple weeks. But it gets worse. So the son takes the stuff. Now realize, daddy didn't write him a check. It was like, oh, my son, I write you a check, you go away. They didn't do that back then. He had a chunk of land and a bunch of possessions, which he's going to take to a faraway land. So what I don't want you to picture is some non-motorized John Deere tractor from the Near East hauling a bunch of cattle and stuff behind it. Because that's, you know, he's like, oh, let us go to a foreign land. He liquidated. So it's like this, Dad, I love your Rolex. I wish you would die so I could have it. How long till you die? Would you die soon? Well, you know what? How about you just die now and let me have the Rolex? And your dad, for some sick reason, gives you the Rolex. And you go to the pawn shop, and this is a $50,000 watch, and they say, give you 100 bucks for you. Like, fine, give me the 100 bucks. So you just wished your dad dead, took this prized Rolex, sold it at the pawn shop for 100 bucks, right? It's going well. And then you're going to run away to a far land. Now realize this kid who's asking for his inheritance comes from a moneyed family and he had a good lifestyle and a great future. He was going to inherit this stuff. He's living in luxury right now, got not a want in the world. But he wishes his daddy dead. He liquidates his stuff and he doesn't want to wait for a guaranteed great inheritance. Now what should have happened is if a kid says this to their father, to bare minimum you get a public smack. Culturally speaking, that's what happens. You go out into the public town square, the father smacks the kid across the face because otherwise the father will be shamed. Go ahead and read Deuteronomy 21 and you'll see that the father would have been within his legal right to stone the child. Now we don't have stoning in our country and that's why I survived childhood and that's why my kids come to church every Sunday. You actually have to be older than elementary age to be stoned. So no, no parents here, who are, even high school, you can't stone them. And we're beyond that. It's, it, well, just don't stone your kids, okay? We're staying in the parable. He should have, at a bare minimum, though, been smacked in public and shunned from the family. There were actually practices of, of funerals for rebellious kids like this, as adults, who would be removed from the family, dead to the family for all intents and purposes. So we have this kid who basically wants to make his own choices and, for all intents and purposes, spits in his father's face, tells him he wishes he was dead, takes the stuff that was going to be his, liquidates it for pennies on the dollar, and runs away. Now, this is a bad kid, right? We would never act this way, would we? You and I, 
would never, I mean, has anyone here ever walked up to their parent and said, I wish you were dead, can I have some cash? <laughs> right? Anybody ever, like, take stuff, a prized possession, which their parents worked their entire life to accumulate, and just, just liquidate it for next to nothing and go and just squander it on craziness? Of course not. We're not this bad, right? Of course not. We're good people. So let's move now. We're not moving on that quick. Do you know what sin is? I want you to think about this concept. You understand this is an illustrative story told by Jesus. And the purpose was to help us understand who God is and who we are. Now, this son, this rebellious son, is not the worst of all sinners. He's all sinners. That's you and me too. Now, while you may have not spat in your earthly daddy's face, you understand what sin is. Sin is spitting in the sovereign Lord's face, telling him, God, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait on what you want to give me. I don't want the inheritance and the style you want to hand it to me and the timing you want to hand it to me. I want it now. I want to liquidate it. I want a cheap substitute. I don't want to be under your authority. Get away from me. I wish you were dead. Now you're sitting there going, well, no, not yeah. Because we don't think about it. And we live in a society that, that runs towards sin. It doesn't seem that bad. But when God tells you to do something, and he's a perfect and loving parent, and you so choose not to do it, you have basically spat in his face and said, I wish you were dead. You ever think of sin that way? It's not an aw shucks type of thing. It's a big thing. And this is not just, you know, go out and kill somebody. This is any type, any type of sin is the equivalent to spitting in God's face and saying, I wish you were dead. Look at why the kid didn't, and you'll see what I mean. So, why did this son want the stuff? He was filthy rich. Filthy rich. We know that as we read through this. You have hired servants, you have fattened calves, you have musicians coming in, you have, you have all sorts of stuff that tells us not only is this a wealthy family, this is a stinking rich family. And this was a kid of the stinking rich daddy. So he's living in luxury, he's got a massive inheritance coming. Why, why not leave good enough be? Any ideas? He didn't want to be under the authority of his father. He thought he knew better. You see, the dad was in charge. The dad made the ultimate calls of what could and couldn't happen, what was right and what was wrong, who was going to do what, who was going to spend what, and how the decisions were going to be made. Now, as the kids got older and grew into adulthood, the father would often communicate and discuss with them, what do you think, what should we do, how should we handle this? But ultimately, dad's the boss. He has the final say. And this kid didn't want to be under his dad's authority anymore. He wanted freedom. He thought he knew better. He didn't want to wait on his father's timing. He thought he knew better. He didn't want to be restrained by his father's authority. You guys see where Jesus is going here? We got a wealthy daddy, don't we? But, darn, he always wants to tell us what to do, doesn't he? Like, why is God always intruding into our time, talent, and treasure? Wouldn't it be better if God was a God of the suggestions as opposed to the commandments? You know, we, we want the Americanized 21st century father version of God. Well, I would kind of appreciate it if you would think about doing this for me because it would make me happy. But if not, that's okay. I don't want conflict in the house. That's not God. God says, look... Here is not a suggestion, here's a commandment. Do it. And we either say yes, or we spit in his face and say, I wish you were dead. Now, 
Let that settle in for a minute, because this is God. He's not some crazy you know, lunatic in the sky. This is God, holy, perfect, sovereign. That takes a lot of uh, chutzpah, is the word that comes to mind safely, to tell God, no, wish you were dead, spit in your face. That's scary business, right? You know the song, you, you don't, uh, how does that, that song go? You don't pull on Superman's cape, you don't tug the mask off the old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Jim. Do you know the song I'm talking about? You don't spit in the wind. You, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. And you add one more, you don't, you don't mess around with God either. It is a big deal to mess with God. But the reason we disobey God is because we don't want to be under his authority. We think we know better, and we want a cheap substitute quick right now. Don't we? I don't care if it's the most ginormous, I hate my neighbor and I'm going to murder them today. That's a big deal. Don't. To the little one, uh, you know, the, the speaking badly about someone behind their back. Okay? These are all the equivalent. When God gives us commandments, we need to first understand who our Heavenly Father really is and why He gives those commandments. Okay? He's not a wicked guy. He's a loving, rich daddy who wants to care for us perfectly. But we need to understand obedience versus disobedience. In a rational mind, do you really think you know better than God? I mean, would any of us be so bold here to say, you know, honestly, I do. I, I I understand he's eternal and sovereign, and, and, but, but I think on a couple of issues, I do know better than God. Yeah, like, if he really wants people to come to know him, it, it, it's got to work differently. Um, as far as, you know, this, the skill set I have and the possessions I have, he doesn't understand as well as, would we ever say that? Like, really? Of course not. But what it is, is we don't want to be under God's authority. So where did it lead for this kid? Verse 13, it says... Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, that's the liquidated stuff, and journeyed to a far country. Put it in context, this isn't like, you know, rich little Joey went to the French Riviera to find himself with his daddy's money. When you left the Jewish lands, you went to a faraway country. You know what they called those? Gentile lands. You know what Gentile lands were? Unclean. Jewish people, to be right with God, had to be ceremonially clean. You couldn't interact with the Gentiles. You go to a foreign land, you are unclean, you're removed from God's presence. This is a big deal. So the kid told his dad, I wish you're dead. He liquidated the assets. He went and got ceremonially unclean. And then he squandered his property in reckless living. The word squandered comes from a Greek word which, which basically carries a connotation of throwing chaff to the wind. He basically just chucked the money to the wind and it blew away squandered his money on reckless living, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out. Now the hired himself out term again is, it's not like he was knocking on doors, oh, I'm kind of hungry, I need money, can you give me a job? Eh, sure, come on. It's a term that, that carries connotation, he joined himself to. He was begging people he knew if they could just do something for him so that he could eat. So what we basically have here is probably a a guy he got drunk with during the days when his money was around, that he was pleading with, come on, I'm starving, can't I work somewhere on your property? The guy says, come on in. He hires him, and one of the citizens hired him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was so hungry, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So think about what you got. A kid of a really rich daddy who wished his dad was dead, took his inheritance, sold it for pennies on the dollar, went to a foreign land, ceremonially unclean, living crazy, squandering his money. Famine comes on, 
hires himself out. Jewish kid, pig farmer. Uh-uh. Pig, pigs are kind of unkosher at a bare minimum. They're nasty. Jewish people don't eat pigs. Today they do. That's why Hebrew National came about. He's working for the pig farmer. He's feeding the pigs, and he wishes he could eat the pig pods. That's called rock bottom. For a period of time, don't miss this, for a period of time, the kid was happy, at least he thought. You know, it's not like he left him, I'm so miserable, I'm going to go get drunk and party with these Gentiles and do all this fun stuff. Shucks, wish I could obey my dad's command. For a period of time, this kid thought he was living the life. I mean, he, he had money. He was going to the clubs of the old country. You know, people were, people were wanting to hang out with him. They were his best friend. He got the VIP room in the back of the Gentile club. And, and they were gathering around drinking Manischewitz and just dancing the horror all night long. And this guy had friends and he was smiling and happy and, you know, big grin ear to ear, waking up in the streets, right back to the party. He was living, he was living the dream. And then one day he woke up and the money was gone. And the friends were gone, and the belly got hungry, and he ended up in the pig poop. Now, sin always ends up in the pig poop. That's, that's the lesson you need to see out of this. But for a period of time, doesn't it have a momentary allure? There are very few people like, you know, I think I'm going to murder someone. Because if I do, I get to go to prison, and big, scary, large people will beat me up and do awful things to me in prison. And, and then I have to share a cramped cell with these people for the rest of my life, and I'll die there. I think I'll do this. It sounds miserably cool. No! We don't think far enough down the road to the pig poop spot, and we go with the momentary allure. We think, well, if I just don't obey God on this one, it's going to work better for a period of time because it'll be fun. And it might be, from your perspective, fun for a little bit. But the allure traps you. You, you never get your fill. You know the term about sowing your wild oats? You ever met anyone who said, I went out and sowed my wild oats, and they're all gone, and now I live holy? I've not met the person. It doesn't happen. You never get it out of your system. It's not like you go on a, a sin bender and then, and then you're just good. You, know, you come back 20 years later, oh man, I am a holy individual. I no longer struggle with sin. I have gotten it all out of my system and I just read the Bible and pray all day long. It feeds itself. It gets worse and worse. You get trapped in it and the next thing you know, you wake up in pig poop. Often, you sit in the pig poop and don't even notice because look what happens here. But when he came to him, Self. It sounds like he was crazy for a minute, didn't it? You understand, sin is insanity. For this guy, I mean, when we look back at the story, we would walk up to the guy in the pig poop and say, Hey, uh, listen up. This is not good. Like, your dad loves you. He's got more than what you need. He's taking perfect care of you. What were you thinking telling him you wished he was dead? Why did you squander your money for pennies on the dollar? Why did you go to a foreign land and remove yourself from God's presence? Why were you living like this, throwing away your money in these crazy drunken parties? Why feed the pigs? And you really want to eat pig food? Do you notice you're sitting in pig poop? And the kid came to himself and went, oh. But often, before we come to ourselves in sin, we don't realize that we're sitting in pig poop and it stinks. Do we? We, we think we're living the high life. I know, see... God said that we should do this, and I didn't do it, and it's working out good for me. Maybe God made a mistake. Oh, God didn't make a mistake. The pig poop is down the road. God loves us enough that he says, hey, pig poop's down the road. Turn around. I think Isaiah rephrases that as, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. A.K.A., there's pig poop that way. Turn around quick. It's going to go bad. 
But we keep going because while we're in the midst of it, it's kind of fun. Hey, this is cool. Disobeying God, I'm not under his authority. I have my freedom. I will find myself and I will be happy. No, you won't. You're going to end up in pig poop. There's a reason God tells us to flee from sin. Should I tell you again? It ends in pig poop. Each and every time. He's a perfect, loving parent. Now here's, here's the capper. Sin is immensely difficult to understand, I think. We live in the midst of a society that doesn't flee from sin, but runs to sin, and it looks so bad that from where we sit, we think, well, I'm not that bad. Well, we're not compared to other people. But from God's perspective, oh, it's really, really bad. And then we have this thing called repentance. You ever see a little kid walk up and smack another little kid, and then you say to that little kid, if they happen to be yours, go and tell little Joey that you're sorry, and they walk back over like this. <laughs> sorry. Like, no, go say it like you mean it. Sorry. <laughs> go look at Joey in the eyes. Sorry. Yeah. There, there's words, and there's repentance. Repentance is more like, Joey, I'm really sorry. I, I, didn't, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, I got really angry, and I smacked you. And I, I'm just sorry. I'm not, I'm not going to do it again. You see the difference? How often do people think that they, they get into a right relationship with God for like, Jesus, don't know what I did. This must have been a lot of stuff. Sorry. Yeah. Whoop. Hang on there a minute. Hang on there a minute. Because if little Joey ain't buying the apology of sorry, you can be sure Jesus ain't buying the apology of sorry either. The good thing and the bad thing is God knows our hearts. Repentance isn't about words. Repentance is about an attitude and actions. When the kid came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, how many people have come to Jesus and said, God, I actually realize I have wished you were dead. I wanted my stuff early. I didn't want to use it for your glory. I wanted to use it for mine. I didn't want to be under your authority. I was actually having a good time. And, and there's a part of me that still likes that. But I know where it's heading. And God, I don't want to perish in the pig poop. I, don't, I, I know I do not deserve to be called your son. I know I have removed myself from you for all of eternity. But God, can you please just, just, just get me through the day with a bare minimum of sustenance? Which we don't even deserve. You understand that's where we are? You see, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. But what happens is, we don't comprehend our standing apart from Christ, so we can't fathom our standing in Christ. When you understand that you... I mean, just take your earthly father. Walk up to an earthly father and spit in his face. I guarantee you we'll have a public and private smacking in my house still. Why is it that as an adult you still fear your father? When you could feel like you could beat him up. We'll talk. Uh, someone can counsel me afterwards. You spit in your father's face. You take your inheritance. You liquidate it. You squander it on junk. I mean, take what would appall your father the most and just spend it on that. And then just run away crazy and then come back home. Hey, Dad, it's me. Can I come in for more stuff? How do you think that's going to go? You expect the doors to go, Welcome home, my son. 
Why do we assume God does that? When we magnify the offense even more grandly. Now we're going to be hopefully amazed by what happens next week with the Father and how he reacts to the Son's return. But here's what I want you to get. Repentance is not about words. It's not about a sorry Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn. Remember that? Remember when Jesus said that? What do they mourn? He's not saying, you know, you got dead family members and you mourn about it, you're set. No, he's saying about your sin, about the fact that you spat in your heavenly daddy's face, about the fact that you didn't want to be under his authority and ran from him and just made a disgrace of yourself. And he came down and found you in the pig poop. You should really feel miserable about that. And there's a part of us that needs to sometimes sit and, and reflect back to the poop we was in. Because the roses don't smell so pretty when you don't remember the stank of the pig poop. We need to think about that, folks. That, that Jesus came to get us out of the pig poop to lift us up on high. But to get out of the pig poop requires repentance. It requires a divine work, not where you just decide on your own, oh, I don't like this so much, what else is out there? But you've got to come to yourself, is what happened to this kid. God's got to open your eyes so that you see the pig poop you're sitting in, and then you realize... There is nothing I can do. Look at this kid's predicament. He made a bad decision telling his daddy he wished he was dead. He made a bad decision liquidating the assets. He made a bad decision going to the foreign land to try to make himself happy, right? He's just trying to fix things at this point. A famine set in. What would a sane person do when a famine sets in? Wouldn't you go back home and say, I made a mistake? But no, he went looking for work. And he got pig work. And he's sitting there feeding the pigs and he's starving. And the same person would go back home and say, Daddy, I messed up. I'm really sorry. But he wanted to eat the pig food. And he's sitting there starving in the pig food. And any sane person would say, Go home to Daddy. But he couldn't. Because he was literally insane. Just like we were. You know what Paul talks about? You're no longer captive to sin. We all lived in insanity. Do you know why people out in the world have such a hard time understanding who Jesus is and how much he loves them? They are literally insane. They have been brainwashed by sin. You can't just rationally bring them to faith. God's got to intervene there. Yes, sometimes God uses persuasive, rational arguments, apologetics. Look at how Paul worked through Acts off in reasoning and, and, and discussing. But God has to intervene to wake up blind eyes and take them from insanity to sanity. And when he does, and as Christians that's happened to us, we go back to daddy with a recognition that we don't deserve anything and then we seek to live in light of that. When we receive the welcome back that we'll get to next week, we start to live differently. Anybody here ever struggle with obeying God? I mean, just a little thing. You see, we got a tight church. No one here struggles. Everybody does, right? Everybody. Now, sometimes we get busy with life and we don't stop and think about what God's commandments are. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those are his words. What's he talking about? Well, if you want to be right with me, you do what I say. Right? That's what he's saying. If you don't keep my commandments, you can go to hell and I can make that happen. What he's saying is, when you understand who you are, what you were, and what I have made you, you'll obey my commandments. You see, this kid didn't come out of the pig poop in the Gentile land with nothing to eat but pig pods. Go home and say, hey, Dad, I'm thinking of going back to the pig farm next Tuesday. It was repulsive to him. He didn't want to go back. He said, Dad, I, I see the errors of my ways. Um, I'm going to obey you. And if you see me messing up, would you grab me quick by the ear and pull me back? 
Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We struggle to keep his commandments because we struggle to understand who we were apart from Christ and who we are in Christ. Don't miss that. Does anyone here love God? All right, so we got nobody disobeying God and nobody loves God. We got, <laughs> let's assume we all do. Why do we love God? John tells us in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. When, when Next week, when you see that kid comes home to daddy and how daddy greeted him and what daddy did for him, when you understand what God has done for you and how much God loves you, you can't help in a sane mind but to love him so immensely, more and more, day by day. And the concept of worshiping in heaven becomes the most enjoyable, exciting premise that you can even fathom because his love is so immense you can't wrap your hands around it. It will take all of eternity. Let's touch on this one. Who here is just passionately excited and can't hold themselves back from going out and telling everyone they know about how much Jesus loves them? I mean, who's leaving here today going to Cracker Barrel to have a conversation with whoever God places at the table next to them to tell them how much Jesus loves them? Who's going to call every family member they can and say, i got to talk to you again today because i, I got to tell you how much Jesus loves you? Who can't talk about anything but how much Jesus loves them, and that is just the focus of their lives? Again, everybody's hands goes up, but we're not, right? Do you know why we don't? Because we fail to fully understand the predicament we came from and the position we have gone to. Could you imagine if this super rich, wealthy daddy with a grand inheritance for all was having an open adoption policy? Hey! I'm thinking of expanding the family. Well, who are you looking to bring in? Anybody who wants to come. What? Yeah. I want kids galore. In fact, I want everyone to come back to me. I only got to adopt them because they decided to become dead to me. These are my actual kids, and I want to bring them back home. I want to bring them into the, the fold of daddy's arms. I want to give them the inheritance they do. I want them to dwell in my presence forever. I will care for them perfectly and give them so much more than they can ever comprehend. But I need you guys, you sane ones who came back from the pig poop, to go out and tell them. We say, but, 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 Dad, that's going to go bad. Oh, whoa, whoa, remember? Remember how you got to the pig poop because you thought you knew better? Yeah, but, 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 trust me. Trust me. And he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul said that in Romans. Guys, it's uncomfortable to go out and tell people about Jesus, isn't it? This, this dang Alistair Bagcat, this pastor from Cleveland, all these years ago said this stupid line across my car radio on the way to seminary one day that got me fired up and just embedded in my head. If you're not sharing your faith, you probably don't have a faith to share. The nerve of Alistair Begg. Who the heck does he think he is? And why can't that get out of my head? And I keep understanding it more and more. If you're not sharing your faith, that does not mean you're not a Christian. That would be workspace, wouldn't it? But if you are not out there, intimately in love with Jesus, if you are not out there seeking to obey everything he tells you because you know who he is and you know who you are, you're failing to see yourself in the light of sin and forgiveness. 
Because when you more fully see yourself in the light of sin and forgiveness and see the other people out there wallowing in pig poop, you cannot help but seek to create every opportunity that God puts before you to tell them about Jesus. But what happens is we don't look so excited. When Jesus loves you, he'll forgive you, come to church, listen to the pastor talk, and then you get to go to heaven. It's awesome. Why don't they get fired up for it? Huh? People buy a Powerball ticket easy, don't they? Huh? Do you ever have a door-to-door Powerball salesman? We're giving away $300 million. They all sound like this if they come to your door. And for $1, you have a chance of winning it. Oh, I don't think I want $300 million. Try it. It's a lot of money. You can buy a lot. No, I don't really want $300 million. Oh, my God. People buy the tickets because $300 million is an awesome amount of money to receive, right? Well, what if you went to their door? Hey, I got a guaranteed winning proposition for you. And it's more than $300 million. And it lasts forever. It's awesome. When do you get it? Oh, I don't know. Could be any day now. How do you get it? Well, let me tell you a story. You say something like, There was a man who had two sons. And one of the sons came to his father and said, Father, I'd like my inheritance early. You see where I'm going with this? Folks, you and I are that younger son. You and I wanted daddy dead. You and I wanted an advance on our inheritance, and we have squandered it. But then God opened our eyes to the truth that we were sitting in the pig poop, and he sent Jesus Christ down. He doesn't tell us to go and tell other people because he wants us to be miserable. He tells us to go and tell other people because he loves them. And for some strange reason... God has chosen to use us as a primary vessel through which the Holy Spirit works to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I don't know why, but he has. I do know God is not a God of suggestions. He's a God of commandments. And I do know that I struggle to obey his commandments because I struggle to comprehend the fact of where I was sitting and to where I've been brought. So rather than me trying to drive this point home, because I can't, I can't even make it work in my own head perfectly, let me ask God to help us with it. We're going to end here today. Next week, we're going to pick up when the son comes home and the daddy sees the son. And that gets really, really, really cool. And then we're going to finish up the week after that with the older brother. And older brothers and older sisters are always trouble. And we'll see why Jesus talks about the older brother. And we'll see who we have some similarities there too. But let's stop and let this settle in this week a bit. Let's spend some time thinking about from where we have come and to where we have gone and to where we are going and understand more fully what it means to desire to obey Christ, to love God, and to tell others about Him. Father, the parable of the prodigal, it is a truly wonderful story, but what makes it wonderful is, is not the uh, literature, literary structure of it, it's the fact that it's a true story. It's not just about a kid who lived a long time ago, it's about every kid of yours who has ever lived, every person who you have ever created. Every person struggles with this sickness known as sin. And God, we struggle to even understand what it is and where it is and why we find it so appealing. But God, we thank you for the fact that you have chosen to open our eyes to the truth, that you have given us eyes and ears that can see and hear and understand what sin is and who you are, and what you have done to conquer sin. And God, the more we fully fathom what it means to be forgiven, the more floored we will be. 
But God, we all have a long way to go with that. At least I know I do. God, I pray for all of us that you would work deliberately and diligently in our lives to help us more fully understand what it means to mourn the sin in our life. Not to become a depressed people who look back with a life of regrets, but with a people who appropriately remember the past to cause us to live future-focused. God, we don't need to be afraid to come into your presence because we are forgiven through the blood of Christ. We don't need to uh, become depressed and, and feel rotten and miserable because we're good for nothing. God, you have lifted us up and cleansed us through the blood of Christ. And as we'll see next week, you restored us to a position beyond what we can even fathom. We get to call you daddy. You call us son. Jesus, you call us friend. There's no, there's no fear in a worldly sense between us. But God, I pray you would develop that relationship more deeply, that you would help us see you more clearly, that you would help us not be drawn to the ways of the world, but draw those who live by the ways of the world to you. Because God, there is still an allure to us in different areas. We still struggle, as Paul says, oh, what a wretched man I am. Help us to mature and overcome that through the power of the Holy Spirit you entrust to us. God, help us to go out into the world and not become like the world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And to pull people out of the pig poop as you open their eyes. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I take that to mean, God, there are a lot of people sitting in pig poop whose eyes you are willing to open. I pray you would give us the courage and audacity to go out into the world and with pretty feet to proclaim the good news and see whose ears are open and whose eyes can see and give them our physical hand to lift them up out of the physical mess they found themselves in so that they can be spiritually restored in full. God, we thank you that you invite us to this work. Help us take more fully the awesome responsibility you place on us, entrusting this gift of the gospel and eternal life to us. But God, we know it starts with us understanding who we are, what we've done, where we were, and to where we have been brought through the blood of Christ. Help us see more clearly. Help us understand more deeply. And God, help us love you more fully and completely as we understand how much you love us. I pray all these things in the precious and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.